It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hello, friends. Welcome to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. What is it like to get a diagnosis of cancer at the age of 29? Well, today we'll visit with a Tri-Cities woman waging a courageous fight against breast cancer. Hear her inspirational story and what progress we're making around the country and here in our community with treatment and diagnosis of breast cancer. First, uh, we'll continue our focus on public health and, in particular, where we are with COVID-19 as the month of October dawns. And with us is Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. And Heather, as we were chatting briefly before we went on the air, I know, thankfully, the COVID uh, focus has been able to subside a little bit, but that doesn't diminish the amount of work that is being done in public health, does it? Not at all. I mean, we're all kind of breathing a bit of a a sigh of relief as COVID becomes less and less such a a focus of the majority of our attention at the health district. We, like many health jurisdictions around the state, receive some of the foundational public health money that has been legislated for us to do our work, and we're all just very anxious to be able to start diving into those projects um, that we're being now funded for, because realistically, it's all there to help keep our communities safe and healthy, and we're we're ready to get back to doing some other good work, too. I was going to say, and even as we plan this program, uh, you know, we've had to rely on you and and other public health and, and infectious disease and experts in the field almost exclusively on this program, throughout the program, for the better part of three years. And luckily now we're able to uh, scale that back, and I guess that gives you a little more time on Wednesday evenings. But still we want to keep that attention out there. And and I guess probably more, mostly so is the, because the weather is starting to get cold, and what we've learned in the last couple of years is is when we start to see upticks in cases, it's because of the the winter-type weather. And then, again, where things are, how the COVID is transpiring uh, in other parts of the world. You're you're exactly right. With the seasons changing, we know that our statistics, whether it be COVID, influenza, um, pertussis, there are just illnesses that we see kind of ebb and flow throughout the year, depending on seasons, activities, what what we as humans are doing uh, with our lives that put us in a greater risk of transmitting things or a lesser risk of transmitting organisms. And so, yeah, we're heading into that fall winter time when we start to see some of the respiratory infections start to increase, whether I say, you know, influenza or the common cold or COVID. And, and, I, and I know historically during the pandemic, we've been tracking other parts of the world, and I know in particular in Europe. And are we seeing cases go up there? Because I know, I think historically, we would see those types of uh, impacts and trends hit us a little bit later. Right. We know through the last few years that we have to look to what's happening in other other countries around the world to give us an indicator of what might come to pass here in the United States. And with influenza, we typically look at Australia, the Southern Hemisphere, to give us a little predictor of what flu season is going to be like for us. With COVID, we've learned to look to Europe. What's going on in Europe? How is um, or how are the European countries dealing with it? What does the data look like? 
And even though we're pretty low here in the United States and especially in the Tri-Cities area, when we look to what's happening in Western Europe, we're noticing that hospitalizations are uniformly increasing for people because of COVID illness. So that tells us if hospitalizations are increasing, rates are increasing, severity is probably increasing because people are are needing hospitalized. So that's another thing we need to really keep tabs on. Um, We've also looked at other countries to look to see what kind of variants or subvariants happen to be in those countries that might be coming our way. We certainly continue as a nation to look at what kind of variants and subvariants are here, but we have learned that it's so important to gather this kind of information from all over the world and then keep an eye on to see is it arriving in our community and that can be a predictor of what's going to happen here. So that's what you mean, I'm guessing, by the word surveillance. And I know relative to COVID, as we bring it back down to our Tri-Cities area community, is the concern still, while the rates are, are gratefully and thankfully low, uh, it, it still is impacting people, and in particular, uh, people are dying of COVID still. And I, I think that's something that still um, is quite troubling, that in the month of August, we had, I believe it was 11 deaths. In the month of September, we had 11 deaths. And that's been pretty consistent over the last few months. So, yeah, people do continue to die because of COVID complications. And, again, it's, it's um, a death that could be prevented if people would get vaccinated. We see really good data. Not only does the vaccine stop you from having a more severe illness, but we're seeing really good data to say that people who are vaccinated against COVID are so much less likely to die from it. And that is a message we wish people would take to heart um, because we have such a good tool available. I was reading about on that topic, uh, there's the new booster that's available. And, and I've read some stories where they said people just don't aren't aware that it's available. Is it really that or is it just, again, I think people are just fatigued by it. And it's like, okay, I'm not getting yet another booster. I'm going to take my chances. I think there's a variety of reasons why we're not seeing uptick of whether it be primary series or people going ahead and getting the booster. Um, I think you're exactly right. People are tired of COVID. They're tired of thinking about it. They're tired of it um, controlling their lives. And we're also, um, you know, it's a new, the, the variant, the, the bivalent variant vaccine is definitely something that's only come on the market recently. And so people that I talk to have a lot of questions and they need information about the safety of it. What does it really mean? Uh, Where do I get it? I think that's a big question if people do want it. But if it's not convenient and it's right in front of them, it's easy to to put off. Well, I'll talk to my pharmacist another day. Um, But what we also know is the more time you put off, the greater the chances that at some point in time we're going to see an uptick in our case rates locally. We're heading into the time of year where we anticipate increased case rates, and you need to get that vaccine on board. You need to get your immunity boosted before we start to see increases in disease in our community. 
And is that where we're seeing current cases currently? You, I, I know you have mentioned the word outbreaks, and in a way it can be kind of a deceiving statistic because I think in some measures, you know, two or three cases can be considered an outbreak. But I know the concern area is these areas where, you know, congregate living settings or especially assisted living settings where the more vulnerable people live. Right. We look at the long-term care settings, the skilled nursing facilities where we have people living in very close proximity. They're getting specialty care sometimes. They're vulnerable because of age, underlying illness. And that's where we get very concerned when we start looking at outbreaks. And, And we do continue to watch that data and give as much information as possible to those facilities on how to protect that vulnerable population. But it's important to remember the facility can only do so much. It really takes the visitors, the family members who come and go from these facilities to also take the responsibility to get vaccinated, do what you can do to prevent bringing it into a closed facility like that and causing these people undue illness. We also watch the school and a child care population because we know that's another congregate setting where people pass various illnesses, COVID, flu, norovirus, anytime you get groups of people together, you're going to see disease passed. And right now we are watching about 14 active outbreaks within the school setting. And these are within classrooms typically at this point. We're not finding any in the childcare settings yet, but um, we're definitely seeing COVID activity in the schools. Understanding that we're going by the definition now, and we anticipate that that definition from the CDC and our local DOH will likely change over the next um, few weeks to a few months. And as we accept the fact that there's going to be an underlying continuous rate of infection in our community, and we need to determine what is that, and then when do we need to get concerned because we're suddenly seeing an increase in the number in a school. And that's probably more of the norm that we'll settle into as we proceed into the winter months. As always, Heather Hill, thanks so much for your timely information, the important information, keeping us all perspectived on the latest with COVID-19. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. And every month, every year during the month of October, The color pink seems to take center stage, and appropriately so, because it's a month when the focus in our community, especially relative to health care, focuses in on breast cancer awareness. Certainly the color of pink is certainly synonymous with breast cancer awareness. And the reason it is such, we will talk uh, just a moment with somebody that typifies exactly why that is the case, and that is somebody who is in the midst of breast cancer treatment. I'd like to introduce you to the program right now, Madison Rosenbaugh Evangelista, and she is currently undergoing treatment for breast cancer, and we're happy to have her with us today. Madison, how are you this evening? I'm great, Jim. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for taking the time, and I guess most importantly for being willing to to talk a little bit about your particular journey 
uh, with breast cancer. And maybe for our listeners, just a quick summary of uh, what your year has been like. I know uh, the bomb was dropped on you back in February. Yeah, um, definitely an unexpected year. Didn't see this one coming. Um, But in February of this year, uh, February 11th, because I love to remember dates, I discovered a lump in my right breast when I was at work. And 10 days later, after an ultrasound, a mammogram, and a biopsy, I got the call on February 21st that I had breast cancer. And after that, my life changed forever. And it's been kind of a blur in a way, but days at the time can actually move really, really slow for me. But I just can't believe it's already October and I've kind of been through so much already this year. If you don't mind sharing your age. Uh, Yeah. So I was 29 when I found my um, lump and I turned 30 in June. So just at the age of 30, you're you're having to deal with this. And, and, uh, you know, the fact, I guess, and the only reason, thank you for sharing your age, is is because people don't necessarily think uh, people that young can can face this. But you are, and uh, I have heard you speak before, and you have an, an incredibly powerful story. But talk a little bit about what that's been like, what you've been through from a from a treatment side and where you are right now in that treatment journey. Sure. So, um, okay, so, yeah, February 21st, I got the call. Um, that was on a Monday. Literally the next day, I ended up meeting with uh, my breast surgeon, Dr. Droche, and learned a little bit more about my diagnosis. On a Wednesday, I had an MRI. A couple weeks later, I had my port uh, surgery, and on March 17th, I started chemo. So for me, um, in my particular type of cancer, I did... Um, eight weeks of adriamycin and cytoxin, also known as the red devil. That's kind of like the joke street name because it is the color of red Kool-Aid. I did that every other week for um, eight weeks, so four total treatments. And then I moved to weekly for 12 weeks. Um, I was on um, carboplatin and taxol. Um, I had my last chemo on August 4th, which was delayed by a week. Um, I ended up getting COVID at the end of July, and that was a fun surprise. (laughs) I I couldn't believe that happened because I had done everything I could to stay inside, but it is what it is. And then on September 15th, which was just a couple weeks ago, I had my double mastectomy. Um, Right now I'm in the healing stage, and I will begin 28 rounds of daily radiation. I I'm guessing probably the end of October, early November, once I meet with my oncologist and chat a little bit more. But during all of that, I found out um, that I was positive for the BRCA1 mutation. And that particular mutation is responsible for breast ovarian and prostate cancers. And through that discovery, I learned there was actually several people on my dad's side of the family that um, were positive for BRCA1 and BRCA2. So it kind of... um, it kind of led me down this road of doing a lot of advocacy in my family and trying to start the conversation about cancer and get folks tested. And um, yeah, here we are, I guess, eight months later, and I'm still in treatment, but um, kind of the worst bit, at least for chemo and having surgery is kind of behind me now. And I can focus on um, healing a little bit more. I mean, I still have radiation and um, some other things I need to do, I think. But um, yeah, it's been a wild journey, to say the least. Wild journey. And, and you sound very strong. How are you feeling physically? Are you feeling okay? Relative would, yeah, to what you have been so. dealing with? 
Yeah, I mean, the first couple of weeks when I was coming off chemo in August, they were really rough. Um, I could definitely tell there was a transition in my body. I really tried to stay active for most of my treatment. I love weightlifting. I love hiking badger. Um, I love to run, to swim. A lot of that I wasn't able to do during treatment, but when I moved to weekly, um, I was able to get in a couple exercises here and there. But August was about me testing my limits. Um, I was able to go up badger a couple times before surgery, and now that surgery is, um, I guess, yeah, three weeks tomorrow since I've had it, um, I've gone up badger twice already, and um, I'm getting my strength back, and I'm really grateful for that. I've just really missed feeling myself and having a sense of normalcy during this time. So that's kind of what I'm after. And next comes radiation, but but the outlook, you you sound strong, but and is that the outlook you've also adopted too? Yeah, I would say probably for the most part. Um, I think I'm really, hmm, I, I don't know how to say this. Like, so I have stage three breast cancer um, and there's been just some questions with uh, we with some of my scans, um, looking at potential metastasis in my spine, and it's unknown at this point. We are not able to get a biopsy, and I just keep telling myself every day, like you know, regardless of what's happening, you know, I'm still here. This is what I have control over. Um, you know, physically, I'm throwing myself back into the activities as I feel like I can do them, um, which gives me a lot of joy, and then. Just mentally, I'm, you know, working towards that space. I'm not quite there, I think, 100%. Like, totally strong, I would say, but I'm doing what I can to just take the time to focus on myself and um, listen to myself, um, which that kind of sounds weird to say, but um, I, I'm the kind of person that really is interested in my mental health and I really care about it, but I think it's really easy for me to toss it aside so I can focus on other people or... Um, you know, I'm really active at work and I'll just be like, oh, you know, I'll take care of myself later. And, you know, finding out about my cancer diagnosis has put me at the center of my life again. And um, that's something I'm not going to take for granted. So, yeah, strength is coming back both mentally and physically, I would say. But you, you sound to have an, an incredibly uh, a strong approach. And, and, and I think that's to be commended. And especially yesterday, there was a flag raised over the hospital at CAD, like a pink white flag that flies during the month of October. And I know you got to, to help raise it and spoke there. And you were so eloquent in sharing your story. Why are you why are you so willing to talk about it? You know, it's a personal choice for me to share my journey. And I know a lot of folks who have gone through um, their experiences with cancer you know, they are hesitant about sharing or do not want to, but sharing for me, it makes cancer almost feel purposeful. So if I can convince any of my friends, my family, or even strangers to do self-examinations on a regular basis, um, to self-advocate in the healthcare system and prioritize their health over their busy schedules, then this will have meant something for me. Um, And it wasn't to say like I wasn't doing those things, but I think I could have done a better job and I want to take care of other people around me. So I've, you know, since the day one, the night I found out by my diagnosis, I've been blogging about my journey, sharing on social media, trying to encourage folks like to take the time to ask their family questions about their cancer history. Um, you know, for folks that are eligible to get mammograms or even to try to get free screenings through the cancer center to, you know, actively seek those opportunities out and to take their health really seriously. Cause I would, I, like you said earlier, like I am young to have cancer and 
that cancer really doesn't discriminate at any age, but I didn't know anybody my age that had cancer. And so now I'm that friend in everybody else's <laughs> lives, and I don't want to have a friend like me to go through what I'm going through. So I'm just doing what I can to encourage people to take control of their health where they can. Well, you are to be commended for not only the courage you're showing, but your willingness to share your story, because I think it is impactful that people like you that uh, that, that might share with someone who is in a similar condition that might not uh, have that same approach. So thank you so much for being doing that. Plus, you got to go to the rodeo. I know I hung out with you for a few minutes at the at the rodeo back in August, so you yeah. had time to fit all that in. <laughs> yeah, that was so fun. I I couldn't have imagined like a better night in my life <laughs> to ride in the carriage and just yeah. be around really great folks all evening was uh, a dream come true. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your time tonight. Continued uh, best wishes from everyone here, and we wish you all the best as you take on the breast cancer. Madison Rosenbaugh Evangelista, and we'll be back with her physician, Dr. John Drosch, right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610-KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Catholic Foundation, and we are thankful for Madison Rosenbaum Evangelista, who is currently undergoing treatment for breast cancer, and she talked about the incredible amount of treatment that she's endured since her diagnosis back in February, and part of that included consultation with Dr. John Drosch, who is a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities, and and Dr. Drosch is joining us here on the phone uh, right now, and and I guess I would first ask you, Dr. Drosch, uh, to hear stories like Madison's and her perspective and her outlook and her approach. Uh, I'm guessing that's why you do what you do. Absolutely. Um, can you hear me okay, Jim? You sound great. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, we're certainly living in a great time when it comes to the management of breast cancer. And, um, uh, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we really struggled to... Um, uh, you know, help women survive through this through this uh, diagnosis. As I was, we were talking about earlier before the show came on. You know, it wasn't too long ago that um, surgery was really the only option for most women. But now, with our medical therapeutics, with early detection and raising awareness, like we're doing right now, we've really uh, made a huge dent in the mortality for breast cancer. And so, seeing uh, success success stories uh, all the time in my clinic is uh, really, you know, it's, it's why I do what I do. You mentioned progress. What kind of, do you have any uh, data off the top of your mind that you could share to kind of illustrate what that what that means? Yeah, well, it, between 1989 and about 2022, we've seen a 43% reduction in mortality from breast cancer. And uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, just the strength of our medical therapeutics that we've developed over the years. In the early 1950s, really the only option was surgery for women, and only about 60% of women lived through breast cancer. Today, 90 to 95% of women are going to are gonna survive. And in Madison's case, it's always fascinating to me, and, and I guess breast cancer or whatever type of cancer diagnosis comes, the 
the process and the treatment plan that is developed, uh, I'm guessing no two are alike. It, it can, as you mentioned, it can it can include a, a variety of different things beyond just surgery or perhaps even not surgery in some cases. Uh, yeah, well, I, I think in most cases of breast cancer, except for the perhaps the really, really, really advanced disease like metastatic disease, uh, surgery may not be that helpful. But by and large, surgery is helpful. And although each treatment plan is nuanced for the specific care of that patient, there are still very broad and evidence-based guidelines that we follow. So the NCCN guidelines, the National Comprehensive Cancer Network, are all evidence-based guidelines that we as physicians are obligated to follow for the evidence-based approach and treatment care to our to our patients. So whether you're here or whether you're in Seattle or whether you're uh, on the other side of the United States, we're all following the same guidelines to treat our patients. Talk a little bit about, if you would, just in general of what goes in, because, you know, and like in her case, she had chemotherapy. She, I know she had to have a port put in to allow for chemotherapy, and ultimately she had, she had a double mastectomy. She had genetic testing. She's about to undergo radiation. Um, what goes into making those decisions, as you say? Is it just a combination of factors? It is. Uh, one of those is just the stage. So if someone presents with more advanced disease, meaning if they have a large tumor or we know that their lymph nodes are positive, meaning tumor has gone from the breast to the lymph nodes in the armpit, those patients might be best served by a combination of, of a more aggressive local therapy, so surgery and radiation to that area. But we also have to worry about the possibility that those tumor cells have somehow uh, made it out into the rest of the body. And if that's the case, then those cells at some point will turn into cancer in the bone or the liver. And that's where chemotherapy comes in. Um, I often have a a, a garden analogy that I use with a lot of my patients, particularly those that are gardeners. Uh, If we imagine a large garden, a beautiful garden, which is actually the patient, and this big, ugly weed grew up in the middle of that garden, well, as the surgeon, I I could certainly just cut a big hole around that plant and take that ugly weed out. But we know that this type, of, this type of weed tends to let seeds go out into the garden. We may not be able to see them right away, but come spring, if we haven't dealt with that issue, those seeds are going to start growing up into their own small plants and destroy the garden. So that's where the, the, the quote-unquote weed killer or chemotherapy comes in, is to treat the whole garden to rid it of that possibility. That's a fascinating analogy, and, and, and interestingly, as you touched on all the different disciplines within the medical profession that come together to develop treatment plans for each case of cancer, breast cancer or otherwise, I know Cadillac here in the Tri-Cities has a, a breast center of excellence. Talk a little bit about that teamwork and what goes into to building a cohesive and, and really uh, uh, synergistic team to, uh, and to benefit the patient. Well, that's right, and I'm glad you mentioned that we do have a breast cancer center of excellence here in the Tri-Cities. And what that means is the Commission on Cancer has evaluated our facility, and based on all of the extra requirements, the the quality assurance that we do, the the every-other-week review of cases as a multidisciplinary group, and also by ensuring that we are following those NCCN guidelines, we've elevated our game, if you will, so that we know that we're taking the best and most current care uh, or providing the most current care for our patients in the Tri-Cities. 
And so it does take – it's very labor-intensive. It, it requires a lot of uh, administrative work and a lot of um, just checks and balances. But in the end, we end up delivering better care, and obviously that's worth it. And talk a little bit about, if you would, just the the, the varying levels. I'm always amazed at at the, the, the different disciplines within that team, you know, not only just mm-hmm. in the physician community, but – you know, these navigators and social workers and researchers and all of these different components that go into it. Yes, they are the glue that holds our program together for sure. We have, for instance, we have our breast cancer nurse navigator, Alyssa Howell, who is behind the scenes constantly navigating patients through our program. Uh, we have a, a radio, uh, an imaging navigator over at uh, Cadillac Radiology that is navigating our patients uh, uh, through our, you know, getting all the different biopsies, making sure they get all the appropriate imaging. And we're just talking about two separate people, but within the whole scope of our cancer care, there are multiple people just like them that are that are maintaining the uh, the wheels and the workings of our program to make sure it all is running smoothly. Sometimes I, you know, it, it, sometimes the surgeons and the and the medical oncologists and radiation oncologists, we kind of get all of the the, the glory. We we certainly have our our part, but it, it really is just a small part in this bigger um, plan to help our patients. Uh, we would be stuck in the water were it not for the many um, men and women in our in our uh, cancer care program that really are behind the scenes keeping it going. One final question before I let you go. And again, thanks for taking the time. Dr. John Drosch, a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities. If you would, just a message to members of our community that might be listening of what all of that expertise that you talk to, what kind of message of comfort and maybe to understand that that, that caliber of care is available right here in the Tri-Cities. Yeah, I, I as someone who trained at the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, it was very difficult when I left there to leave kind of the, the womb of academia, if you, if you will, um, and come out here where I just didn't really know anybody. But over the past 17 years since I've been here, we have grown a program that is, that is excellent. It uh, delivers the same care as the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance. We work uh, very closely with the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance for a lot of our patients. And so it's just been a, it's been a wonderful journey to see where we are today, knowing that we provide excellent excellent uh, cancer care uh, to all the patients that come to us. Dr. John Drosch, a breast surgeon here in the Tri-Cities with the Tri-Cities Cancer Center and the Catholic Regional Medical Center Cancer Oncology Program, a breast center of excellence here in our community. Back with our remaining minutes of Catholic On Call right after this. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Once again, Jim Hall. A reminder that if you missed any part of our program, Cadillac on Call is available on podcast. Just search Cadillac on Call on whatever platform you listen to your favorite podcast. Welcome back to the program, and we're focusing on breast cancer. The month of October certainly is pink and synonymous with raising awareness of breast cancer. And earlier in our program, we visited with uh, Madison 
Rosenbaugh Evangelista, who's in the midst of breast cancer treatment and certainly a courageous story and, and her uh, very serious fight as she navigates her way through this uh, at a young age. And, and one of the keys that she mentioned is the amount of support services that she's received throughout her cancer odyssey over the past 10 months. And a lot of that has to do with our generous community. And I'm proud to welcome to the to the program Liz McLaughlin, who is the director of the Catholic and the Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundations. And Liz, I know, has been mostly connected with the Cancer Center for a lot of her career. And I know uh, hearing stories like Madison just, uh, I'm sure, really drives home why you do what you do, Liz. But talk a little bit about the role that... Uh, support and the community support plays in 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 this cancer cancer journey awesome thank you jim yeah madison gosh she's so inspiring um and just the, the donations from our community allow us to be able to support people like her so you know we're able to get her gas cards we're able to support with medication copays uh, just anything a patient needs while they're going through their cancer journey, um, we're able to provide that because of generous donations from the community. So this month during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, I think it's just an incredible time to um, just celebrate that great community support um, and, and share stories like Madison's um, so that we can all just grow and, and help more people. As we come on the air, it is October the 5th. And we touched on with Madison that she helped raise a flag over in front of Catholic Regional Medical Center above the hospital that flies each uh, October throughout the, the, the season to remind folks of the incidence of breast cancer and folks who are impacted. But I know over at the Cancer Center on Thursday evening, there is going to be, and throughout the month of October, talk a little bit about the pink uh, illumination that will be happening in that part of the Tri-Cities. Yeah, definitely. So um, this, I believe, is our 13th, lucky number 13 year um, of lighting our building with um, thousands of pink uh, Christmas lights. We leave those up the entire month of October just to recognize, um, you know, one of the types of cancer that affects our patients the most, for sure. Um, And just as a reminder that you know, self-exam and mammography and all these things are important partners um, in making sure that people, um, if they are diagnosed with breast cancer, it's done early and we can save more lives. So starting uh, Thursday night, you'll see if you drive down to shoots, you'll see those beautiful lights up for the entire month. And then um, we're excited because then they transition to our Christmas lights. So. (laughs) And I think that really is a nice segue into the next question I have for you, Liz, is that the role that, that the Cancer Center Foundation plays uh, goes throughout the year because cancer isn't just confined to breast cancer. And I know the work that is done, the, the fundraising, the, the, the advocacy that is done uh, extends throughout the year, and that probably makes your work even much more worthwhile, important, and fulfilling. Oh, without a doubt. You know, cancer really touches everyone. It's so funny um, because you know, it's not just pink. King cancer is not just pink. You know, we, we, we celebrate our survivors every month, every day of the year. Um, but I think that, you know, one thing for our community to be so proud of and definitely something that inspires me is what an incredible world-class cancer center we have. Um, we were in meetings this morning talking about just how 99.9% of all cancers can be treated right here at home. And that has been a labor of love from this community over the past almost 30 years since the Cancer Center has been open. And to be able to see this amazing integration that we've done with Cadillac, 
Um, so knowing that patients will seamlessly get care from surgery to chemo to radiation to all the supportive services, and then we can celebrate them as survivors is just really something that keeps us going every single day. Right. And one final question, and, and I'm always just really struck when I hear stories like Madison, and again, hers is just one of thousands, obviously, in our in our community. But, you know, this has been for her going on since February, and we are in October, and her next course is radiation. So these these are not just uh, quick treatment uh, regimens that, that come and go. It's an ongoing and all the more reason for having advocacy and support. Um, it's so important. You know what I mean? Um, we we definitely feel like our patients at the Cancer Center are our family. You know, we're with them um, for life, and we will take care of them, um, and we'll take care of their families. And, um, you know, it's just, it's an extensive process going through cancer treatment, and it really affects an entire family. And so for us to be able to be there as the foundation to support the amazing work of our navigation team um, so that we really have created a great net um, for those families to lean into when times are tough, I think is just, it's really amazing. And before we let you go, I'd be remiss. uh, For 30 years, nearly, uh, the Cancer Center and the foundation have been around raising funds throughout the community in support of programs like you just addressed. If someone would like to participate, uh, how can they do that? I know it's probably fairly easy to do. Super easy. So um, obviously always you can stop by the Cancer Center, give us a call, but also look at tccancer.org and you can select our foundation and it's super easy to donate. You can donate to breast cancer awareness, patient needs, um, whatever really that cause touches your heart. Um, And it all stays local and helps local families and our neighbors, friends and family um, dealing with a disease that affects us all. And before we let you go, uh, the, the listenership on this radio station geographically probably mirrors where patients come to the Tri-Cities for for cancer and other kinds of care. So being able to help people not only within the Tri-Cities, but some of these people that have to come long distances can also be very stressful. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we are a regional cancer center with um, support that we can give for people if they do have to come from out of the area. We have um, RV spots. So if you have an RV and you're coming from out of the area and you want to park there, um, we've got RV hookups. We can help patients um, with housing costs if there's issues with getting back and forth. Same with transportation. You know, cancer, like you were mentioning before, can be a long journey, and um, it can be very, very challenging, especially financially on on somebody. And, and, you know, if they're coming from northeastern Oregon or from the lower valley every single day for treatment, um, as some of our radiation patients do, you know, we're really there to support them make sure they have all the things that they need to be successful in beating their cancer. Liz McLaughlin, Director of the Catholic and Tri-Cities Cancer Center Foundations, thanks so much for your time, and thanks to all of our guests. We'll be back again next week with another edition of Catholic on Call. Good night.